This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. 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 Welcome, 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 welcome to the Bubble Hour. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power. Weakness head on me. Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. Hello, and welcome to The Bubble Hour Archives, a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined The Bubble Hour as a host in season two. Together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine, we all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at thebubblehour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB, or Booze Free Brigade, often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it even easier for you to find that. So, all right then, enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. This is Amanda, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories about alcoholism and recovery. I'm here with my co-host, Ellie, and our special guests, Catherine and Lisa. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Tonight's show is about accepting acceptance. We hear often that acceptance is key in both getting sober and staying sober. But what does that really mean? What does acceptance mean to you? We know that in order to get sober, we must accept that we are powerless over drugs and or alcohol. But even during sobriety, accepting things we do not have control over, which turns out is all people, places, and things, is critical <laughs> to maintaining recovery. In this show, we'll talk about acceptance, why it is important, how it can be elusive, what gets in the way of acceptance, what it means to us, tools we use to find acceptance, how we know when we're not accepting something, and what we do to get it back. We will also share stories of times lack of acceptance has made us struggle or suffer and share our experiences with times acceptance has helped us not just stay sober but maintain a healthy recovery. In thinking about this topic, I pulled out my handy book that I tend to refer to often, which is The Language of Letting Go by Melody Beatty, and I just love the way that she phrases things. And so she wrote this about acceptance. Our basic recovery concept that never loses its power to work miracles is the concept called acceptance. We do not achieve acceptance in a moment. 
We often have to work through a mirage of feelings, sometimes anger, outrage, shame, self-pity, or sadness. But if acceptance is our goal, we will achieve it. What is more freeing than to laugh at our weaknesses and to be grateful for our strengths? To know the entire package called us, with all our feelings, thoughts, tendencies, and history, is worthy of acceptance and brings healing feelings. To accept our circumstances is another miraculous cure. For anything to change or anyone to change, we must first accept ourselves, others, and the circumstances exactly as they are. Then we need to take it one step further. We need to become grateful for ourselves and our circumstances. We add a touch of faith by saying, I know this is exactly the way it's supposed to be for that, the moment. No matter how complicated we get, the basics never lose their power to restore us to sanity. And then there's a meditation here, which I like as well, and that is, today God helped me practice the concept of acceptance in my life. Help me accept myself, others, and my circumstances. Take me one step further and help me feel grateful. So I just, I have to say that acceptance is probably one of the greatest gifts that I have received in my recovery. And for me, acceptance has given me a lot of serenity in my life today. And it's something that I never knew that I was not practicing. I, when I think of the opposite of acceptance, to me, it's being a control freak. And, and prior to getting into recovery, that's how I acted in all my affairs. And, and especially when it came to my drinking, if, when it comes right down to it, simple thing for me, what the, the first freedom that I received in recovery was accepting the fact that I was an alcoholic. And that was something that was very hard for me to do. For years and years, I tried to control my drinking. And I would talk to people, and I would, I would acknowledge the fact that I had a drinking problem, but I did not accept the fact that I was an alcoholic. And that's a very, to me, is a very huge, there's a very huge difference to that. For me, my journey, my acceptance, when I accepted the fact that I was an alcoholic for the first time, that was the first time I felt the freedom of what acceptance means to me. And then... As I continued in my journey and I struggled with different things, my um, sponsor and my friends would tell me, you need, to, you need to learn about acceptance. You need to just accept that things are exactly the way they are supposed to be for the moment. And when I first heard that early in my sobriety, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. There is no way I can accept the stuff that is going on in my life. Like, I need to straighten this stuff out. And, but with practice and working on it and actually reading what acceptance means and how to achieve it and talking about the things that were bothering me in my life and listening to how other people accepted tough situations, I found so much freedom in my life and learning that I could not control people, places, or things. It's such a simple concept but it takes a lot of work and practice. But for the most part, when I, when I have acceptance, which for the most part I do today, I, I have peace in my heart, in my life, because I'm not losing my mind trying to control other things. That's just a little babble for me. Ellie, do you want to share some thoughts on acceptance for you? Sure. I can absolutely relate to everything that you're talking about. I was 
uh, scribbling notes furiously as you were talking because it really it did a couple of things you said definitely resonated a lot with me. But being the typical, being the dork that I am, the first thing I did when I was thinking about this show was go look up the definition of acceptance on Wikipedia, which is, of course, the oracle of all things. <laughs> and Wikipedia defines acceptance the following way. It says, acceptance in human psychology is a person's assent to the reality of a situation, recognizing a process or condition, often a negative or uncomfortable situation, without attempting to change it, protest, or exit. And uh, I thought that was really interesting because I think a lot of people struggle with acceptance. It certainly isn't something that is proprietary to alcoholics or addicts or people in recovery. But that last word there, exit, as an alcoholic, the only tool I really had in my toolbox for a long time was if there was an uncomfortable situation or emotion, I just changed it. I drank. And I had no awareness of the fact that some of these, even the tiniest triggers that were causing me to drink were really all around not accepting a situation as it is and, and instead trying to alter it or change it in some way. And as Amanda said, obviously the first part of acceptance for me in recovery was um, accepting that, my, that I was powerless over alcohol. And that's, that was a years-long process for me. I love the fact, Amanda, that you used uh, acknowledge versus acceptance because I can acknowledge a lot of things. But true acceptance mm-hmm. is something that is, is really different, at least for me. I can sit back and look and, and with my all-knowing, all-seeing mind, think that I have figured everything out and that what I'm really doing is acknowledging things without accepting them as they are. And I think right. that what I, and you talked about being a control freak, and, and I also think about perfectionism. I had no idea what a control freak I was until I got sober. I would have sworn up and down to you when I was drinking that I was the most laid back, live and let live, it's all good kind of human being. But I I did not realize that a a huge underpinning to my drinking was actually a feeling of being out of control. And for me, in a lot of ways, it revolves around other people's emotions, either in terms of people-pleasing, how they feel about me, how they feel about themselves. I was having a conversation with a friend recently about how triggered I am, not even necessarily triggered to drink, but just triggered into sort of profound suffering and unhappiness around how other people are feeling. Like if my husband's upset about something or if one of my kids is suffering, I can't control it. And and it makes me extremely uncomfortable. And that is a form of control and a, a form of perfectionism over other people's emotions. So it wasn't even my own emotion that I was trying to change with drinking but it was hiding and altering the reality of other people's emotions and situations around me as well, because if I can't fix it, it makes me feel very uncomfortable and out of control. This is all part of a lot of the work that I have done in recovery about literally taking a deep breath and saying, um, I'll just give a sort of a, what seems like a benign example, but it's not. If my husband is upset about something, like the printer won't work, and he's upstairs in his office and he's swearing at his printer because his printer won't work, I can be downstairs cringing, thinking somehow I'm responsible for the fact that he's upset about his printer. Or if one of my kids is upset about something that happened in school, I feel this profound responsibility for making, fixing the situation or altering it in some way. And to be able to sit back and say, it's not really up to me, this is the situation as it is right now. Um, it's an action for me. It's, acceptance is no longer an emotion. It's an action item. 
And so I have to almost physically sit on my hands or go do some deep breathing and realize that things are the way they are supposed to be and they're going in directions that I could not possibly foresee. And so if I try to interfere or change or, God forbid, drink over it, then I'm not allowing things to unfold the way that they're meant to. So I used to, when I first got sober, I thought of acceptance as something you felt. And now I think of it as something that you do, that you consciously say, I'm, it's, it's tied to surrender also. I'm surrendering to the situation the way that it is right now, and it's not going to last forever, and it will change, and I don't have control over that either. My final point is more along the lines of when I first got sober, we, I heard all the time, we hear it all the time in recovery, that I don't have control over people, places, or things. And Amanda, I thought, that's just patently ridiculous. That means I don't have control over anything. <laughs> and it is with some time that I realized that I really don't. I really don't have control over people, places, or things. But what I do have is a choice about how I respond to things. And I can respond with acceptance. I can respond with resentment or anger or fear or anxiety. And sometimes, as the reading indicated, I have to work through all of those emotions like fear and anger and anxiety until I get to acceptance but that it, it's the fact that I don't control people, places, or things does not mean that I am without choice because I do control how it is that I respond. And that was very soothing to me in a lot of ways because it, it takes that, I don't know, that fear that I have around the fact that we really don't have any control over anything that happens ever in life, in particular right. the things that matter the most to us. So anyway, that's, those are my top of mind thoughts about it, and I'm, there's many examples that I could give, but I won't go on and on because I'm sure we'll, we'll touch upon some of them later. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more from one of our guests. And how about Catherine? Would you like to share? Hi, Ellie. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Hi, Catherine. I'm so Thanks happy and grateful. To, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really honored and humbled. And Amanda, Ellie, and your other co-host Lisa, and your the service that you do for all of us in the recovery community, just uh, I'm so grateful for it, and thank, thank you. you. So thank this you. topic has made thinking of three or four high-level items, and for me, acceptance really aligns around honesty. And as I was thinking about it, I have to go back a number of years to actually before I, I got sober about a year and a half ago, April 5th, 2012, but going back to 2005, early 2006, I was in an abusive, actively alcoholic marriage and just really in a very brittle, physical, emotional, and spiritual state. Fundamentally, I think one of the issues is that I was totally incapable of being authentic about my feelings, even to myself. Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? Tiny Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles. Little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building.
from 2005, a girlfriend of mine gave me a book called Let Go, Let Miracles Happen, The Art of Spiritual Surrender by Kathy Cordova. And I said, oh, thanks very much. That sounds interesting. And I chucked it into my closet where it sat for about a year. Yeah, because I, th- and I didn't even do it consciously, but I think subconsciously I knew that this was going to be revolutionary for me. So it was like having a snake in the house. And it <laughs> appeared, it, it just popped up one day. And in my memory, it literally just emerged from this pile of stuff. And oddly, that week, I started hearing all kinds of messages about surrender and something my hairdresser said and something on the radio. And then the last kind of straw that kind of got through my thick skull was I came home and I flipped on the TV and it was the tail end of the Inside the Actor Studio episode with Michael J. Fox. And I didn't even hear what the question was, uh, although I went back yesterday and, and rewatched the episode in preparation for this. And um, somebody asked him about how he's dealt with his career and being honest with his colleagues when his Parkinson's really was becoming advanced. And what he said was he described how his face would become frozen, like in the shape of as if he just ate a lemon, and it would become frozen there for 30, 45 minutes, and it was very painful, not to mention frustrating. And he said at first you fight it and you want to change what's happening. And then he said at a certain point you get to a place where you just say, this is just where I am right now, and I sit with it. Mm-hmm. And this plant is the seed for me of really just admitting who you are, how are you feeling, and what exactly is going on. Now, it took a number of years before I got sober, but I did, I actually started therapy right around that time and got out of that marriage and changed many things, started getting really honest about what my behaviors were. And this, it, I laid a lot of groundwork that was very helpful then in getting sober. I wish it hadn't taken so long, but we're accepting that's what happened. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's right. So the first thing was just being honest about how I was really feeling. And then, so fast forward to 2012, and I was finally said, okay, I surrender and I'm going to get sober. And the first thing about accepting what is was the semantic issue. I, at first, I just really struggled with the A word. Now I can happily say, I'm, hi, I'm Catherine, I'm an alcoholic. But at first, I just, I wasn't comfortable with that. But I said to myself, who cares what I call it? I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. I know that when I have one drink, I cannot stop, and I will keep going until I'm physically incapable of continuing. And it's Jerry Seinfeld has this thing where he says the last working muscle when you're watching TV is your thumb muscle that's, like, flicking the, the clicker, like, looking for a channel. Like, that was me. Like, I would be one eye open, but that's I'm still trying to get another bottle of wine open. And I could remember all of the shame around that. I can remember the fear that I caused my now husband, my new partner at the time. So the semantic issue of 
I, I got around it by just saying, well, I accept that this is the truth, that if I have even one, I can't stop. And now I just like to comment that I actually feel fairly neutral about saying I'm an alcoholic. Um, a newcomer in a recovery meeting asked me recently, why do we have to say it? Can't we just look to be here and not really say it? <laughs> and, you know, I, I think it's important to say it. We, we talk about things like being humble and surrendering to our higher power, maybe, if, if, if that's your path. But saying the, the alcoholic word helps me accept that that's just part of who I am. And I'm at a certain point, I'm pretty neutral about it. It's a problem when I act on it. But if I stay sober, then it's really fairly neutral. It's just part of who I am. And I, I have to deal with that. Just like Michael J. Fox just has to deal with the fact that he's shaking and has these other issues that he has to deal with. The other thing at the beginning was, well, accepting what to do about it, what to do about getting sober. And this makes me think of you know, the myriad excuses that I had as to why I can't or why it's going to be hard. Like in my case, I, I travel a lot for work. I have to entertain a lot. Oh, this isn't going to be possible. Or there's no way I could engage in recovery meeting because I just don't have time. But everybody's got all of these issues. But for me, you know, acceptance just became, well, is that true? How can you, Ellie, I think you were talking about, you do actually have control. And so by accepting that, okay, if you travel for work and you're sober, how do you reconcile those two things? Because they can coexist. And so I accept that. And it just makes it a lot easier. I feel like the only time I suffer is when I fight reality. When I mm. fight it, then I have a hard time. But if I don't fight it and I say, help me understand a solution here. How can I stay sober and still entertain clients for work? And uh -huh. answers appear that way. Another thing, particularly early on, was accepting what I mentioned before about the reality of what happens when I pick up even one drink. So playing the tape forward and accepting why I can't drink. So if somebody says, it can't be that bad, you weren't that bad, or any number of justifications or excuses, like I have to accept that I blacked out almost every single time I drank at the end. That's mm -hmm. just a fact. And I, I could sit here and feel bad about it, but the reality is that helps me stay sober because... This is why I can't drink. I, I accept that. Mm -hmm. And then taking it deeper, just accepting life on life's terms. So, for example, you know, it is possible to deal with trauma. I have a lot of trauma in my past, but I know lots of people in recovery who have trauma happening for them right now. Big losses and scary things. But I can accept why... I can accept that I don't have to drink, that I can deal with my emotions as they come through and just life as it's happening. And to Ellie's point earlier about just actually having control, I, 
I started actively questioning my thinking or what I actually called my stories or my fictions. I think I was a little bit in love with being the victim. I was a little bit in love with drama and suffering. I, I think I really held on to that pretty tightly in some perverse way. But I really just thought, even in early sobriety, I'm an anxious person. I have anxiety. That's just who I am. I'm stuck with this forever. Nothing will ever change. Or I can't handle these difficult feelings or things that are happening. And I just, every time a thought like that would pop in my head, I would question, is that true? Do you have to accept that's true or can you just accept you feel anxious this very second, but that's not fundamentally who you are. And that, I'll just note, was really important in, for me, months five to seven or four to seven. I was just a nutcase of anxiety. And I really, my anxiety, which had been always been bad, really spiked. And I thought, oh, great. Here I am just going through the sobriety thing and it's getting worse. It's just who I am. That's it. I'm stuck. And then I would question, do I have to accept that as reality? And the answer was no. And I'm happy to report that at the end of the seventh month, that really lifted. And so now that's just a daily thing. Do I have to accept like, this is a terrible day or somebody in our online recovery group asked the question of, well, is post-acute withdrawal syndrome or pause. Great bubble hour episode on that, by the way. But <laughs> so is pause going to make staying sober or getting sober harder? These kind of things, I think we can actively retrain our thinking to say, what if we just accept pause as being what it is, which is symptoms of our healing? They're uncomfortable. I'm not saying it's the greatest feeling in the world, but Instead of judging it as good or bad, can't we just accept that maybe we have some symptoms as they come along and say, oh, hello, that's pause, and I can keep moving. And I'll just close with the, the last thought was on that is then you can take that sort of training of yourself into having compassion for starting with myself and then also for others so that I can just have compassion that maybe I feel sad about something or anxious about something or I'm having a challenging day at work. And it, but instead of going to the place of disaster and then resentment and anger and all the things that I might drink over, if I just align back with honesty and realign myself and accept, okay, it's really raining heavy out and that is going, now I'm going to get wet, <laughs> but I don't have to suffer as a result. I can just accept this is how it is and I'm just going to move forward through it with, with a lot of compassion for myself, for the world, for everyone around me. And it's just made life a heck of a lot easier. I don't suffer nearly as much as I used to. Good Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by the Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. 
Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by the Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. Help others find the message of recovery we champion on the Bubble Hour. Plus, get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on Patreon. Patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available, as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast, Tiny Bubbles. Become a Bubble Hour patron today at patreon.com slash thebubblehour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope. Acceptance. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It's not, oh, this person did this to me. It doesn't mean um, accepting unacceptable behavior. It doesn't mean that there's nothing that you can do. It means that you, to me, like acceptance, so so say someone does something wrong to you. A friend betrays you in some way. So it doesn't mean that you just accept it and that you continue to allow that behavior in friend, husband, whatever it is. But what it does mean is you have a, accepting it means, okay, you accept it for what it is, and that's how things are right now, because I think the now part of it is important too. But then you, it also means you have a choice, and you can accept it for what it is, and you can continue to allow it, or you can say something about it, or you can also accept. Sometimes for me it's accepting, okay, that person is that way, and I can accept them for being that way. I can't change that they're that way, and I just I have to accept them for who they are, and I'll and continue on. Sometimes it's not something that you want to end a friendship over or something, and it might just have to be, okay, that's how this person is, and I just have to know that is what I get from this person, if that makes sense. That, yeah. Or and if, and if it's something that is unacceptable to me, then I can make I had I can accept that okay this is how that person is they're not going to change or I've tried and it's not working and so I need to not have that person in my life and I'm using a person as an example but it can be whatever but so acceptance does, accepting something doesn't mean that you just you know roll over and say okay that's just how it is like the perfect example is Michael J Fox it that is how it is and by him. He, by saying, okay, my face does this, when I just have to accept it and, and roll with it and just accept it for what it is right now, and then and it passes. But he's not fighting it. I think just when you're, some things just are. And not fighting it is just, just to me, just gives me so much peace. Um, I so agree I with that. To add that. Catherine again. Yeah, I, this is Catherine again. I just, it occurs to me that, that kind of thinking, what you're saying, Amanda, replaces the word should. And I picked that up from a rather challenging little book called uh, Loving What Is by Byron Katie. And when you start thinking about really tough situations with other people where if somebody is acting badly and you say he or she shouldn't do, that's just not right. The question is, but are they doing that? Oh, yeah. my ex 
does these things and it drives me insane. He shouldn't do that. But does he do it? Yes. Okay. Then you have to accept that this is where he is and that's how he's acting. And then you choose how you proceed from there. It's actually very right. empowering in a unexpected way. I love how this, I really love how is. you started everything by talking about honesty, Catherine, because I think it can be astonishingly hard to be honest about even very obvious situations. In the context of addiction and recovery, it's the most prominent example of somebody whose life is falling apart because of their drinking and they continue to drink and, and it's hard for for people to understand why they can't accept the fact that drinking is ruining their life. But this carries forward into sobriety in lots of ways. Some of them are obvious when it comes to trauma or grief or loss or sadness. And some of them are more mundane, like, you know, having a little spat with your spouse or a broken shoelace or a car accident or something. It can be anything where you hear that should word or I wish it wasn't like this or it shouldn't be like this or I shouldn't be like this. I think that it, uh, the, the, this is going to sound strange probably, but the example that popped into my mind was I was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago or about a year ago, and it was interesting because it's, that's, a di- that's a diagnosis that you can't refute. You either have cancer or you don't. And in the first three or four weeks of after being diagnosed, I suffered a lot because I had that, I, this, why me? This shouldn't happen to me, and this is so unfair, and this is really profoundly wishing the situation was other than what it was. And even though, and finally, somebody said, why not you? Why, this happens to lots of people all the time, and you can either be upset and suffer over it, or you can accept it for the way that it is. And having to actively practice letting go and accepting and surrendering. And then things, even in the context of something as yucky as cancer, it got so much simpler for me. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing as when you're actively drinking. Something goes wrong in your life, so you drink over it. Now you have something wrong in your life and you're drunk. <laughs> something mm-hmm. is improved by that. It was, it's the same thing for me in recovery where I have this nasty situation in my life and I'm suffering because I'm not accepting it. And so that's, like you said, that this is a long rambling example of it starts with honesty. It took me a while to be able to look at myself in the mirror and be like, wow, you have cancer. I have cancer. And I think that second part of what you're saying, Ellie, is that you said it out loud, that you looked at Mm -hmm. yourself and owning one voice and and having the truth to be able to say, this is happening to me. Now what am I going to do about it? Like you have a voice and you have a truth and you have yeah. you know, permission granted to own that and to accept that if you want to. Exactly. And your honesty is, is it's yours. If you're facing a bad marriage and you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm unhappy in my marriage, it's, it has nothing to do with the more nuanced parts of that's just how you feel. And then once it's out mm-hmm. there and you've acknowledged it and you've been honest about it, then you can make the choices that you need to make to either accept it or change it. But that honesty piece is really important. And I love that you started your share by talking about that because we're hardwired, I think, as alcoholics and addicts to um, find every way around that we possibly can instead of going straight at things. And with recovery and acceptance, we get better at that. But Lisa, you've been awfully quiet listening. Would you like to share a little bit now? Sure. I've just been taking notes and listening and taking it all in. Um, Thanks for inviting me to participate. I've got, like, all these statements that I've written in 
no particular order, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, trying to control my notes here, <laughs> which is just so ridiculous considering the topic. But one of the things that kind of jumped out at me is that the words control freak, the term control freak, and it's something that I've heard my whole life, not just in regards to myself, but also just other people. We all call each other, oh, such a control freak. And that can go hand in hand or not with alcoholism. It can go hand in hand with any ism, period. But when it, I just, I remember thinking, you know, feeling very defiant about that term after a while. Like, I'm not a control freak. I'm a control expert. I'm like an efficiency <laughs> expert. If everybody would just listen to me. And I'm not trying to do things my way. I'm trying to do them the right way. And if everybody would just do things the way that I was, it's really astonishing how when we're drinking, how grandiose we can actually become. And and nothing is more humbling than realizing that, and usually in recovery. And another thing that that I was really thinking about as I was listening to you guys share, because y'all were saying stuff that was just sparking me left and right, was when I was drinking, I had... I remember sitting in my garage with my juice glass and stashing it on the shelf every time my husband came outside. He really just, I think, thought I liked to read a lot. I was always out here reading and crying and drinking. And that's that's how it was for me in the end. And just picture that. And then picture me just trying so many times not to drink so much, not to drink at all, not to drink this. I tried every possible formula that I could not to do it. And finally, I remember... I don't remember a specific day. I just remember that there was a moment somewhere along that path where I said, I'm an alcoholic, and I just accepted that. But I wasn't prepared to do anything about it. It was just I was resigned, like, this is my life, and I'm going to be an alcoholic the rest of my life. And Mm -hmm. because nothing tragic has happened lately, it's only within the last couple of years that I've actually said lately, a lot of really tragic stuff did happen. It's just at the end, I was so petrified of the consequences that I just chose to try to stay in one spot, not leave the house, not take my children, take my child anywhere, although I still did from time to time. But, and, and I had a, a little joke with my best friend in, in recovery, and, and I always tell her I never had a problem admitting I was an alcoholic until I started to get sober. <laughs> then all of a sudden I want to fight you about it and debate it and the whole nine. And which is just completely fighting. It, it gave me the illusion that I had some sort of power and that I was taking action. <clears throat> what I've learned, and somebody said this, I don't know where I heard it. I think I may have heard it on the online community that we converse on, was that the pain is not, in, it's, the pain is in the fight. It's not in, it's in the fight and the struggle but it's not in the release and the surrender. And because I remember thinking surrendering is so hard, it's so painful. I remember like getting on my knees with my friend and holding her hand and saying this silly prayer, in my opinion at the time. I was just like, this is ridiculous. I I don't know what we're doing here. I don't feel like I'm surrendering, but I'm just, I'm people-pleasing, which leads me to another, you know, little note that I jotted down because I'm really, I love people-pleasing. It's just so intoxicating for me to try to control everybody by and that's what I've recognized is it's such controlling behavior I used to think it was a really sweet quality and when other people did it I'd be like oh that's so nice that they're people pleasing it's not healthy but it's so sweet they're such sweet people and I really 
it wasn't until someone didn't call me out, but they said people-pleasing is the highest form of manipulation. It is trying to control other people so that you can be okay. And I, I was just like, all of a sudden I felt really oh. taken down a notch. I was not quite as noble as I thought when I was people-pleasing. And, and it, of course, it's completely the opposite of acceptance. I, I was people-pleasing to avoid ex- having to get into any kind of acceptance. And for me, acceptance is not linear. It's very, every now and then my daughter, who is an adult child of an alcoholic, she's, I don't know if she's an alcoholic or not. Her odds are not good, but she appears to be fine for today. And she'll call me and say things like, made me so mad at work. And all this, she'll just describe this tragic, apocalyptic day. And she'll say, how do I get into acceptance? And I'll say, that's a pretty, it's not a complicated question. It's just it's, it's not point A to point B. It, for me, it goes up and it goes down and it goes over here. And sometimes they say that anything a, an alcoholic lets go of has claw marks all over it. And in my case, like mm-hmm. claw marks, teeth marks, toenail marks, anything that I can hold, I will hold on to something and wrestle with it until I'm in so much pain that I really have, I have choices. I could either drink over it or I can pause and take a moment and Catherine says play the tape forward. I think we should call that play the mp3 forward. I don't know. It's just tape <laughs> outdated now. But every time I hear that, I think of a cassette tape and I'm like, yeah. But so part of my process then is I usually speak with one of you fine people, recovering alcoholics in general, people that have some experience that I'm, that maybe I have, but I can't tap into when I'm in that kind of pain. And one of the first things that I have to do is, is pray, because that's kind of my thing, you know, pray, whatever, however people can connect to something outside of themselves, and just ask that I be able to accept myself where I am at that moment, even if it is the messiest, ugliest, not okayest mother in the entire world. That's what I've been struggling with this week, is just really not appreciating my own parenting skills. And I have, to, I have to talk to someone else because if I just leave it to myself, we're never going to get there. It's just like getting in a car and me never turning the ignition. I'm like, we're going somewhere, and I really intend on it. But for me, like I said, it's not linear. It, it's, I, I take detours. I go here. I go there. I usually do some writing at the direction of someone that really helps me out that I'm partnered with to uh, grow spiritually. And... I wouldn't say that either one of us is more spiritually evolved than the other. I think that we just, as human beings, I think that we need to connect with someone else. And it's a partnership. I have to get that input because left to my own devices, you really don't want to see that. I think you probably once or twice, but it's just not a pretty um, picture. But I used to look at having control. I thought I had control. That was the thing. I never had it. But... I thought that was, for me to say I'm in control was my way of saying I will most certainly not accept this. I will not accept my sandwich made this way at Subway or whatever. I have issues with my food. Like, I don't like it a certain way. So I would just, it was just anything that I tried, anything that happened to me. It could be that small or it could be a job situation or a family situation I, I would. I was just incredibly resistant to change and to looking at things a different way and to accepting people, places, and things. That's just 
wasn't, I, I don't think it's in my nature. I don't think it's in any of our natures. I can't speak for everybody else, but my experience has shown me that we're, I don't like to separate myself from other alcoholics in the sense that I'm a really stubborn alcoholic. I think we're all pretty stubborn. And I think that our journeys take us further away from that behavior, and that's great. But something that somebody said, I don't know if it was Catherine or Ellie, but I, I made a note that just says setting up for failure before even trying. I was more willing to accept my crappy consequences than to even try to move toward the acceptance. And even I, I remember calling my friend one day and just saying, before I tell you what's going on, I need you to know that I'm not ready to do any recovery work on this. I want to curse and scream. I want fantasy, indulge in fantasies of hurting this person. They have hurt me. They have just, I'm wounded. And they let me go off for a while. And they were like, okay, when you're in enough pain, we'll move forward. And it took me a few minutes, but I got into enough pain. And I just, I know I'm all over the place, but I'm looking at my, the things that I wrote down that I really wanted to acknowledge. I think that in the very beginning, when I accepted that I was an alcoholic in the the isolation of my own garage, that was a profound and sad moment. When I went and acknowledged it and began to get into acceptance, when I started my recovery process, it was extremely scary for me to tell other people that I was an alcoholic and to hear it come, you know, out loud. I really, I think I just thought it was a death sentence. But there, along the way, when I follow the tools, and it takes practice for me, it's like anything else, racquetball or baseball or tennis. These are things I have to practice, and I have lots of opportunities to practice. It never, never disappoints. The more that I practice those opportunities to get into accepting people, places, and things just as they are, the more I feel the relief of not being in control. All right, everybody, this is where we leave off for this shorter version of this conversation. But the episode does continue for another 30 minutes, and you can hear that if you join us over on Patreon, where we have the extended versions ad-free of all of our shows. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for walking this walk with us. We're glad you're here. Sober is a great way to live. And if it's something you aspire to, keep going. It's worth the effort. If you are walking this walk, please know you're not alone. We thank you for being here. Until next time, please take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me In a dark corner is where shame likes to hide We think you're strong just cause you'll keep it on the side It just stays in wait there to rob you of your pride Turn the light on, turn the light on You can shine when you say, I did that, and I'm proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, I'm not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power, oh, this head on me.
Just want to be free from 